everybody? Yeah. Well, I just want to let y'all know, today me and my friend Callie Mae have a very special Fruit of the Spirit story that we are going to reenact for you. Hey, y'all. Hey. Good morning. Good morning, morning. Callie Mae. So, yeah, it's like, it's called the Good Planetarian. Oh, brother. Yep. That's the Good Samaritan there, Callie Mae. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant, Eddie. That's what I meant. Yeah. The Good Samaritan is a famous story that Jesus told to the people a long time ago. He told it so people would know that God wants us to be kind to others. So what are we waiting for, Eddie? Let's learn about the next fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. All right. All right, so remember now, we're going to retell the story, okay? Yeah. All right. I think I'm going to sneak up Mm -hmm. on this guy, hit him up top of the head, take all of his money. Mm -hmm. Hey, sir, have a nice day. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Look at this. There's a guy laying in a pile. He looks like he might be hurt. Huh. Well, I'm just in a hurry. I'm sure someone else will help him. I remember to pray for him, though. I'm just going to sneak away before he notices me. Uh Uh-oh. What have we had? What do we have here? I suppose... He might need some help, sir. Yoo-hoo! Do you need some help? Young man, do you need my help? Well, he's not saying anything. He must be. Okay. Well, I better be getting along now. Bye. taking a nap? Oh, dude, you're not napping, are you? Ooh, you're like beat up. Did some dude clunk you over the head and take everything from you? Oh, I guess I'll take that as a yes. Well, never fear, because I, the good librarian, is here to help. Callie Mays, good what? Samaritan, not good librarian. Oh, chill out, Eddie. You're supposed to be, like, knocked out. Well, get it right. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I, the good orangutan, will help you. Oh, brother, I give up. Just get on with the story. Oh, okay. First, I will take you to a doctor so he can fix up your injury. Then, I'm going to get you nice and comfortable. So there's a nice Motel 6 just up the road aways. I think they keep the light on. And I'll stick with you until you're all better and buy you anything you need to get back on your own two feet. Yep. Uh, um, but you don't even know me. It don't matter. Jesus said that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. When he was talking about your neighbor, he meant all other people around you. 
He meant pretty much everybody. That includes you, my downtrodden friend. Yep. Well, thanks. I will never forget your kindness, Good Samaritan. Don't mention it. It's just another day's work for the Good Aquarium. Oh, brother. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. Samaritan. Yeah. Bye, y'all. Bye. Okay, our children may be dismissed. Good job. That was a good lesson there, wasn't it? The good aquarium. The good orangutan. The good sanitarium or whatever. Good job, guys. Thank you. Today we're talking about uh, another in our list in the fruit of the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, you you may want to turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel? And we're talking about kindness and the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, I'm going to go into the Old Testament. And I've selected there a classic passage about kindness that I want to share with you today. This story that I'm going to tell you today is one that uh, many of you have heard before, I'm sure. And I probably am equally sure that there's many of you who haven't heard it. If I were to ask you today to tell me the story of Mephibosheth, many of you would be at a loss. So this morning, I'm going to share that story with you from the Scripture And since we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we've talked about love, and we've seen that as a Christian, love should be seen in the life of a Christian. If that's true, please tell me amen. Amen. And we've talked about joy. Joy should be seen and visible in the life of a Christian. Peace. Peace should be seen and visible in the life of a Christian. If that's true, tell me amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we talked about long-suffering. That long-suffering is related more than anything else in that passage to our relationships with people. And we should be long-suffering. We should suffer long with other people. That trait should be seen in our lives. We shouldn't have a short fuse We should have a long fuse or have a long temper or be tempered in a long, long span of time in our relationships with people and not so short and uptight and easily offended and ill and holding grudges and blowing up. If that's true, that we should be long suffering and that should be seen in our lives. Would you tell me amen? Amen. So today we come to yet another and. Uh, King James Version, excuse me, the New King James Version uh, refers to this as kindness. We'll talk more about the difference maybe between some of the translations a little later. But this morning we're talking, this morning we're talking about kindness, how that kindness should also be exhibited, be on display, be present, be seen in the life of a Christian. You may say, I can't be kind to that person. You don't know what that person said to me. I can't be kind to that person. You don't know what that person did to me. I will tell you today 
that the Holy Spirit working in the life of a born-again believer can give us the power to forgive and not hold grudges and be kind to even our enemies. As a matter of fact, Scripture expects that of us. We talked about this quite a bit as we go through the fruit of the Spirit and and we talked about the, the love and the long-suffering and the peace and the joy. How all these things are to be seen. They're to be exhibited. They're to be on display in our lives. It's the fruit of being a Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God working in our lives. These are the indicators that God is truly at work in our life. That we're truly born again. This is the, this is the proof in the pudding, if you will. It's the fruit on the tree. It's what the Lord expects. That's why he says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's the identifying mark. So it's not that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to select a couple of these different fruits and have them in my life, but I'm not going to have the others. No, that would be incomplete. The fruit of the Spirit consists of all these things, and all these things should be exhibited and displayed in our lives. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if all Christians exhibited all of these things in our lives? Would it? It probably is not that way. Uh, maybe I'm going to have to lay it on, on people like me, the pastors. We haven't taught people what really this means. What are the implications of the fruit of the Spirit? That the Lord wants the things that the Lord wants to do in our lives, the things He wants to accomplish in us, what He wants to make us become, help us become, so that we bring glory and honor to Him, love, joy, peace, long suffering, and today kindness. So today, it's just as important as the others, and we're going to go, as strange as it might seem, into the Old Testament to find this classic on kindness. You'll see that when we get there. But before we get there, I need to give you the uh, the background. I need to give some context to this story so that it will be meaningful to you. For those of you who never have experienced this or learned this before, I will suggest to you that the chapter headings in your Bible are a wonderful tool. They're a marvelous tool. To help you learn and get the gist of scripture. So this week as I was looking at this story. And it's quite a complicated story. It goes over two books of the Bible. And I thought well I'll just see what the chapter headings are. So I've picked out a few to share with you. And I can frame this story. I can frame this picture that we're going to draw today. With what I'm about to share with you on the screen. If you want to view it there. I've simply copied chapter headings or paragraph headings from my Bible to, to give enough of the details. I can't tell the whole story. It's far too complicated, but I'm going to hit the high points so that we can gain some context for this story that I'm going to share with you in chapter nine in a few moments. In first Samuel chapter eight, the Bible explains to us that Israel demands a king. They've never had a king before. There's been judges, there's been different people that God would raise up to lead God's people. They've never had a king. They get to thinking, well, if we had a king, that'd be a wonderful thing. The people demanded a king. Now, God didn't want them to have a king, but that's what they wanted. So finally, God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. You want a king? I'll give you a king. So God or Israel demands a king in chapter 8. 
Saul, in verse 9, is chosen to be the new king. And the Lord anointed him with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says he was turned into another man. There was a, a, an anointing on his life. And, and, and he was blessed by the Lord with what he needed to be successful if he had been obedient and followed the Lord. But in chapter 13, Saul disobeyed God. In chapter 15, because of his disobedience, not once, but more than once, Saul was rejected as king. God says, okay, that's it. I'm taking my spirit off of you. Uh, you're no longer going to be king. We're going to find somebody else to take that slot. And so then in chapter 16, David is anointed king, but it was done privately. Most of you will remember when uh, um, Samuel, the prophet, went to Jesse, a man named Jesse, who had multiple sons, several of them, looking for a king as the Lord had directed him to go to that house. And he started with the older and looked at all these, and none of these was the right ones Samuel could understand. So he said, don't you have another one? Jesse said, yeah, I've got one. My youngest son, David, he's out in the field keeping the flock. Bring him in. I want to see him. David walks in, and Samuel says, he's the one. He's the one that God has selected to be king. And so he was anointed there. It was done privately. Just the family and Samuel were there perhaps. So it was not something that was known widely. But uh, David was anointed king in chapter 16. In chapter 17 is that probably most famous passage of scripture about David's life that at least children will remember and that's the story of David and Goliath. I don't think I have to retell you that story. I think you know it. But after David killed Goliath, chapter 18 tells us that Saul resents David. Now there the people of God are under attack. This big giant is is humiliating them. He's mocking them. He's threatening them. He they're just they're just little scared rabbits in front of Goliath. And then up steps David, this really young guy. He says, I'll take care of this. And he goes out and gets the stones and the, and the sling. And he throws this stone and hits Goliath and kills him. Well, you can imagine what the people did. The people then began to brag on David. David, look what David did. David killed the giant. David is a wonderful person. And of course, what do you think Saul felt about that? He didn't like it a bit. He began to get jealous and he began to, to, uh, despise David. So then in verse eight, chapter 18, it tells us the chapter heading is Saul resents David because David is getting the praise from the people. David is getting attention. David is getting the accolades and, and Saul already having been deposed, although he's still acting as a king, he refuses to step down. He resents David. And then in chapter 19, Saul begins to persecute David. He hates David. He despises David. One day while David was in his presence, the Bible says he took his javelin and he intended to pin David against the wall with it and threw it and tried to pin him against the wall. He wanted to kill David. He despised David. Now, this wasn't a, um, a short-term persecution. It wasn't something that lasted just two or three days or a week or two. This went on month after month, probably year after year, that, that, that David is fleeing for his life as Saul and his armies hunt David down and try to do away with him and try to kill him. And so this goes on and on. And we continue with this story. And 
chapter 19. On the next uh, slide, please. Jonathan, one thing that's recorded for us there, chapter 19, verse 1, is that Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, was a dear friend of David. That's very important for the context of the story that I'm about to tell you from chapter 9. So Saul is serving, but he shouldn't be. David is the king, but nobody knows it yet. Saul is trying to do away with David, persecuting David. And David and Jonathan, Saul's sons, have become knit together and have this very, very close friendship. Well, there's this struggle that's going on. And finally, Saul dies. Saul dies and all his sons die. Now, Saul's sons are killed in battle. And Saul recognizes that they're going to kill him too. So he just ends his own life so that they don't have the pleasure of killing him or perhaps drawing it out. He commits suicide, if you will. So Saul is no longer on the scene. But you know how it goes politically, don't you? If Saul has been king, he has followers, right? And as David is the up, the one that's up and coming king, he has some followers as well. And so there's this verse that I want to share with you in just a few moments. We'll get to that. So Saul is killed. Um, he kills himself after his sons are killed. And that's the end of 1 Samuel. Now we're going to go to 2 Samuel. That may be the quickest recap there's ever been of a whole book of the Bible like that. 2 Samuel chapter 2, David is anointed king, but this time publicly. Now, everybody recognizes that he's supposed to be king, chapter 2. And in chapter 3 of 2 Samuel is this passage of Scripture that I want to make sure that we get it fixed firmly in our minds. Chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Samuel. The Bible says, now there was long... Now, Saul's gone. He's not even here anymore. But he's got fans He's got people who support him. He's got people who want to promote his uh, continuance as far as the kingship is concerned. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. There was a struggle there for who would have the throne. And then the Bible says, But David grew stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So this struggle is continuing, we read about. In chapter 5, the chapter heading is, David reigns over all Israel. So now the, the kingdom is consolidated and David is recognized as the king. Everybody knows who he is and, and there's some unity now. And the Bible tells us in chapter 6, and here's a particular passage you may remember when the ark is recaptured and brought into Jerusalem. And just about everybody has heard this passage of scripture where David danced before the Lord with all his might, right? And his wife despised him. And she didn't like that show of exuberance and worship and giving glory to God as he danced before the... See, but David had something to dance about. God had anointed him to be king. After this long struggle now, he's been exalted. He's been put into place. He's now the king. They now have unity. The people are behind him. And everything's going well. And now they get the ark back. And the blessings of God are there now. And they're just so excited. And 
And David dances before the Lord with all his might. Man, life is good. Prosperity has arrived. Things are going well. Well, when things are going well, uh, typically people um, reflect on what the Lord has done and count their blessings and appreciate what God has done. And that's the case with David. David, as we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9 now, we actually come to the text, which I will uh, work through fairly quickly here. Chapter 9. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? Think about that now. Now you understand why I went through all that time explaining this story. David says, after he's won the battle, the kingdom has come together, there's unity, the ark is back, the the glory of God is in the kingdom. David says, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? Now you might would think immediately, we know what David's up to. David's going to completely obliterate anybody that supported Saul. He wants to do away with him. Oh, how wrong you are. David said, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, they were good friends. David's reflecting on Saul and or on Jonathan and his friendship and all that this has happened. And David would have wished this, all this didn't have to have happened like it did. And he's thankful for what God has given and for what God has done. And he says, now he's talking about his enemy now. The house of Saul. There was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Do you, do you get the irony of what he's saying? He's wanting to do something good for somebody that has persecuted him and their family and their regime and their government. He's so thankful because of his friendship with Jonathan. I'm going to see if I can find somebody that I can show kindness to. That's not holding a grudge. That's not being bitter. That's not saying, huh, the way they treated me, I ain't going to do anything for them. That's not that kind of attitude at all. David is saying, I I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. In verse 3, he says, I want to show the kindness of God. Is there not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He can't walk. He's crippled. But he is Saul's grandson. He's Jonathan's son. I know where he is. Yes, there is one young lad that comes to mind. And so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. 
Now, when Mephibosheth, how would you like to be named Mephibosheth? When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, let me just pause right here and add something. He came in fear and trembling and his heart was beating 150 beats a minute because he was sure David was getting ready to exterminate him. He's part of the house of Saul. He doesn't know what David's up to. He doesn't know what David's thinking. And he comes in and he's scared to death. And so the Bible says, Mephibosheth, verse 6, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and he prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. I want you to hear that again. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? There's some self-esteem, isn't it? See how he felt? So low, so unworthy. He said, I'm not worth anything. Remember, he can't walk. He's lame. He's been mistreated, perhaps, and looked down on and and made fun of, perhaps. Verse 9, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son, that I've given to Jonathan's son, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. I want you to listen to this. David says, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. The last verse in that chapter says, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table And he was lame in both his feet. Think about it. You're in the palace. It's time for King David to sit down for dinner. I've never sat down at a king's table before. But I imagine it was nice. Plenty. And plenty of the good stuff too. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The stuff you like to eat. The stuff you like to treat yourself with. The stuff you eat when money's no object. You know, those kinds of things. It's plenty of it there on the king's table. So David sits down at the king's table. And all of his sons are gathered at the king's table. And all of a sudden you hear the clump, 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 clump. And here comes Mephibosheth with his walker or his crutches or whatever he does to get along. Here he comes from the house of Saul. And he sits down at the king's table with that big spread. And eats all he wants for the rest of his life because of the kindness of David. Mephibosheth 
from the house of Saul, who was at war with King David. Now, I want to read three more phrases before we leave this. Chapter 9, verse 1. David said that I may show him kindness. Verse 3, he says, I may show the kindness of God. And verse 7, David said to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. If there's ever been a classic example of where you would have expected a grudge, you would have expected maybe payback. You would have expected maybe David to say, I don't want anything to do with them. I don't trust them. I don't like them. Look what they did to us. Look how much suffering existed because of all this mess. And David never focused on that at all. David said, I want to do kindness to someone from the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. In memory of him. Because he was my friend. I just want to show kindness to someone. You see, showing kindness is easy. If you show kindness to your children. Or show kindness to your spouse. Or show kindness to your parents. Or show kindness to your best friend. That comes really easy, doesn't it? That's not a challenge. That's not a problem at all. But I want to declare to us today. That the type of kindness that God has designed, that the Holy Spirit working in us produce, will make us kind even to those who are not kind towards us. People who don't like you, people who despise you, people who've done you wrong, people who've talked about you, people who have offended you... The Word of God declares that the Spirit of God working in us will produce kindness that will do the same type of thing that David did. Even reach out to your enemies and people who've messed up your life some way and you can love them and show kindness to them. Now remember, this is the fruit of the... Yeah, it's not the fruit of human nature. It's the fruit of the... Spirit. It is the Spirit of God work. Listen, when we come to Christ and we become Christians, the Bible says old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You, you are a brand new individual. And then the Spirit of God begins to work in you to even make you more different than you were before because you quit hating people and you start loving people. You quit being miserable because you have joy. You quit worrying about all things because now you have peace. You're easier and more agreeable to get along with because you are long-suffering. And you can even do a kind deed and bless somebody maybe who's blessed you out. Amen? That's the Spirit of God working. No, it doesn't come naturally. I didn't say it come easy. I didn't say it would necessarily be something that you'd be excited about. But I'm going to tell you what. The Lord expects us to exercise kindness even to people who aren't kind to us. Pray for those who despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Pray for them and curse not and love them. Love your enemies, the Bible says. Listen, this is real stuff. 
God working in our lives, this is, this is a real transformation. We say these words a whole lot about how our lives change and God does the work in our lives and, and we just kind of let it roll off our tongue and that's about as far as it goes. But I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God working in our lives, and the Bible says He indwells those who are born of the Spirit, who are, who are saved, who have been regenerated, who are Christians. The Spirit of the Lord abides in them and He wants to be able to work in our lives and to manufacture through us fruit, love, joy, peace, and all those things. Uh, listen, we, maybe later there'll be a, there'll be a uh, series on the gifts of the Spirit. But we're wasting our time talking about the gifts of the Spirit if we can't get right the fruit of the Spirit. If we can't love, if we can't have joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness, don't even worry about the gifts of the Spirit because they're not going to be there. We have to learn to get it right. Listen, the, the proof, the indicator that we are filled with the Spirit, we got it all wrong. We want to look at the list of the gifts of the Spirit and say, there's the indicator. No, that's not the indicator. This is the indicator. The fruit is the indication that the Spirit of God is working in our lives. That's why the Bible says it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues or not. If you don't have love, you're nothing. It don't matter if you have all faith to move mountains. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. It all comes back to the, to the fruit of the Spirit that has to be in our lives. Our, our attitudes, our demeanor, to some degree, our personalities have to be altered when we come to Christ. He's going to change us. We're not going to be the hateful, bitter, mean people we used to be. Our lives are going to be transformed. We're going to learn that even to the people who don't like us, even to the people who reject us, even to the people who despise us, who oppose us, we're going to have to learn to treat them kindly. Just what the Bible says. Anybody ever read the Bible? See, this is, this is real stuff, I'm saying. We, we have to, to make this real. The world is waiting to see Christians live up to what this Bible says we're supposed to be. Amen. And so we have this classic Old Testament example about the fruit of the Spirit and kindness and what it can actually look like when you put it into operation. Well, I'm going to go briefly now to Luke chapter 10 as it would have it the same story that the puppets told us a while ago. The good aquarium, except it's the good Samaritan. But instead of telling the story and reading it from John chapter 10, would it, would it be okay if I would modernize that story for us? Put it in a modern context. Let's say you're getting up tomorrow morning and you're going to work. And on the side of the road, you see a person lying there. You're not on Capitol Boulevard and there's hundreds of cars going by. Maybe you're back here on Mitchelltown Road or, or Halifax Road or one of those roads where the traffic's not so heavy. And you see lying on the side of the road this person who has obviously been injured. They're in bad shape. And you can just look at it and tell it. Well, to modernize the Good Samaritan, you, you could stop and take a look and, and uh, say, well, he's probably just drunk and just go on and drive and not call 911 or not help in any way. Just let it go. Just think, have you all seen some of the videos where people are being beat up and 
and, and injured and people, a whole crowd just standing around watching it. I don't get that. I really don't. You see that a lot. There could be a, a gang of people gang up on somebody and beating somebody up and people just kind of stand back and watch it. It can be a police officer. People just stand back and watch. So you see this person lying on the side of the road and you just ignore it. In, in, in and out, just like that. You go on. Ain't none of my business. And then here comes somebody else. Well, let's say that, let's say the first person was, uh, let's say the first person was a pastor. Let's say I did that. I mean, there's somebody obviously needing help. There's, they're, they're lying on the side of the road in the, halfway in the ditch and I see them there and as a pastor I just turn my head and just keep going because in the Bible the first one was a priest and he didn't care enough to stop and help and the second one was a Levite so I'm going to pin the next one on Ronnie Rose or Tim Carter they're deacons then the deacons come by and they happen to pass and they see them too but they don't stop either or call the police or 911. They just leave them there. Now, first of all, just be honest. I don't, I don't often ask you to raise your hands, but I will this time. If there was somebody lying on the side of the road dying and Pastor Ron rode by and never even stopped or called any help at all, how many of you would be disappointed? Thank you. I'd be disappointed in myself if I did that. Same goes with our deacons. If they were to do that, we'd be disappointed. But then somebody comes by who is on crack cocaine, maybe, or they're a drug dealer, or they've never been to church at all. They don't, they just, just, they don't know the Lord. They just happen to be coming by as well. But then they stop. Not only do they stop, but they, they help this man up and, they put that man in their car and they carry this man to the hospital and they help him through this process. Which one of those people showed more kindness? The pastor, the deacon, or the sinner? The sinner did. It's a shame, is it not, that sometimes in the world today that the sinners can be more compassionate and caring and kind than Christian people can be. That's that's an indictment on us. Now, before you criticize that illustration, I'm not saying we should put ourselves in harm's way and do stupid stuff and and put you know, uh, ladies, please don't stop on the side of the road at, at eleven o'clock at night and 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 help somebody and put you. It may be a trap. We all understand those things. But we're supposed to be kind. You can always call the police nine one one. You can do something to get the man some help, right? Kindness. That's that's part of the DNA of a Christian. We're compassionate people. We're caring people. And it doesn't matter if the person has offended me, spit in my face, told lies about me, whatever they have done. I can still, as a Christian, I can't, I can't do it in myself, but with the Spirit of God, I can still love them. I can still smile at them. I can still be kind to them. Amen? And that's what God expects from us. That kind of kindness. You see, David was being good, actually, to someone that would be considered his enemy. 
Mephibosheth was, I don't guess, in any circumstance considered worthy. There's no reason that David had to particularly feel obligated to do this for Mephibosheth. He evidently didn't even know who Mephibosheth was or what his condition was as we read this. But he just wanted to do something nice for somebody. If you ever, may I say this, if you've ever had the inkling, just this thought or this little voice or whatever you want, however you want to refer to it, that you need to do something nice for somebody, please do it. Amen? It doesn't matter if you know the person or not, just please do it. There's been a few times in my life that I've done that for people I didn't know. I just felt like I needed to do it, and I did it. And, oh, it just, and, and, and they didn't even know I did it. And it just made me feel so good. This morning I was thinking about one such time when, it was the day before, I think, Ashley and Nathan's wedding. And I went over to the other side of Raleigh to rent a, a trailer freezer. It's a trailer that we could put food in and keep it cold through all the activities of the next day. So I went and picked that up, and on the way back, we'd been running at breakneck speed trying to get everything ready. So I just pulled in at a restaurant and went in to eat and get some lunch. And while I was there, I saw uh, a young man and a woman come in. And one of them, I may not have the facts exactly right, but I'll tell it as the best I can remember. One of them was missing a leg and had a prosthesis, and the other one was missing an arm and had a prosthesis. One was male and one was female. A few minutes later, another couple joined them, and they were in about the same situation. And they happened to be sitting. They were seated just across the little division and I could hear part of their conversation and they were talking about, they, as it turns out, they were all military. They were all wounded warriors and they were all dealing with rehab and getting back up on track and getting plugged in to their jobs and being fruitful, productive citizens and, and that type of thing. And, and as I sat there, the more I sat there, this burden just settled on me. You can imagine. I just, I just couldn't hardly stand it. It was heavy. I mean, it was, I couldn't ignore it. It was heavy. And finally, I said to the waitress, I said, I know this is um, uh, maybe a strange question, and you may know these people. I was very discreet to the waitress, and I said, uh, are they indeed wounded warriors or wounded in service? And she said, I don't know. I'll find out. And I said, well, please don't say anything to them. Just do it discreet. Well, she went and just chatted with them and turns out they were military. Well, that did it for me. That's all the confirmation I needed. And, and I said to her, would you bring me their tab? And I just want to buy their lunch. And so I paid for their lunch and I said, um, don't say anything to them about who did it, just the fact that it's paid for. And then I left. Well, I wasn't there to see an expression on their face, but I'll guarantee you they were encouraged by that. But I'll tell you who else was encouraged. I was. Because I knew I had done what I was supposed to do in that particular instance. Show kindness to somebody I didn't know. 
an old song we used to sing years ago in our youth choir says, show a little bit of love and kindness all along the way. This world could use more of that, couldn't it? And the Spirit of God wants to produce that in us. For musicians, singers would come back now. We're going to close with a song in just a moment. The fruit. What people can see. What people recognize in us as Christians. Love. Joy. And peace. And long-suffering. And kindness. And there's yet more to come. These things are important. And we can ignore them. We can minimize them. We can treat them as if they're not important. But I'll tell you what, the Word of God teaches they're extremely important in the lives of Christians. That's you and me. I want a full harvest. Talking about fruit, I want a full harvest. I want some of all that in my life. And it can only be accomplished through the Spirit of God. But when we do that, when we live that way, when we exhibit these traits and qualities in our lives, it's going to make a difference. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It'll begin to show up. It'll make a difference in their lives. Churches will fill up if people begin to act that way and exhibit those things. Would you stand with me? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the
that they'll know we are Christians by our love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness. Please, Lord, somehow allow the word that's been shared these last few weeks along the lines of the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to grasp it. Help us to see it. But even better yet, help us to experience it. You're working in our heart and in our lives to produce in us the things that you desire. Actually, the things that are like you that will get the attention of a world that so desperately needs the Savior. Help us to get it right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I would like to say that.